Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros, I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we have a very special Q&A episode today. Solo edition. Fellow comedian Yoshi So is usually with me on these weekly Tuesday live streams, but it's just your boy, and I'm answering all of your questions that we do this every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, live streamed on our Facebook group and YouTube channel. So go subscribe and join those to get your questions answered. And let's get into the first question, which is very exciting. As I posted in the Facebook group, some also some trending topics, some topics that aren't necessarily like how to do X, Y, and Z, but also more of just about comedy in general. And one that really came up that is a hot topic and that's why I wanted to start with this hot topic, is crowd work in comedy. Chris, Chris Bailey actually posted, I know in my scene recently we were talking about clips, and specifically crowd work clips. That seems to be the big thing people are wanting to see at live shows. And then I replied to him asking for more details, and basically in his scene, which I believe is in Arkansas, and then we had other comics commenting here as well about their experience with this, that crowds are now expecting crowd work because there's so much social media of comedians just posting crowd work. And now audiences are becoming almost trained to interact more, to want to yell out more, to want to be more a part of the show which is very interesting. And I've actually seen a lot of clips of more like famous comedians talking about this who actually use crowd work to leverage their social media, like Sam Morrill, Mark Normand, um, even Andrew Schultz talking about basically what he created <laughs> a few years ago when he started doing this. And now it is just the norm in the comedy game. But now audiences are really starting to become conditioned to this. And that's interesting, Chris is saying this. I haven't personally experienced this yet. I was just in, uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier before we went live, about performing at a casino Wednesday through Sunday. And it was a headlining sets, and there weren't any disturbances or there weren't people really expecting crowd work. I will say what is maybe becoming different though, people are more willing to interact. I can tell you from doing this comedy thing for a hot minute now that I remember earlier in my career, a lot of times audiences were less comfortable interacting with the comedian. They almost like wouldn't reply as much or they wouldn't like give as much information to the comedian. But now I do see audience members being more receptive to that interaction. I haven't seen it to the point to where they're not laughing at jokes and they're only laughing at crowd work, like mentioned in the Facebook group. But that's not to certainly say 
that I won't do a show tomorrow, that that is the example or something like that. So that is a very interesting new development in comedy, you know, these crowd work clips. And something that was really interesting, I heard Mark Norman and Sam Morrill talking about on their podcast, and they had the hilarious Ian Lara on their episode as well, where they basically talked that, yes, at this point, crowd work is part of it. It's the way you can create content without burning any of your actual material, posting it on social media. I know, like, Mark... I think Sam does this as well, but basically they do their set. And then at the end, they then do like a live Q and a of like having the audience yell out things for them to react to. That's like topical or trending and things like that. I remember when I saw Sam here in Atlanta, he did that. And I know Mark does that as well and several other comics and it trickles down as well because I have seen comics. Um, this was only on one occasion, but I did see a comic who will remain nameless. Um, more of a local comic. He does some road stuff and things like that, but he, he um, ended his set trying to do this Q&A technique that like Sam and Mark and other comics do, and it didn't go well. Literally, the audience member yelled out a suggestion. He tried to riff on it. It didn't work. And then he got mad at the audience member <laughs> for suggesting a bad suggestion. So there's that for you. So it can go both ways as well of like audience members expecting crowd work, but now comedians expecting crowd work. And literally I've talked to younger comics who say they literally like perform for the clip now. And I did a show with a comedian who did great. He was featuring. And when he got off stage, he was upset because he didn't get the clip. He's like, oh, that was a good set, but I didn't film it to get the clip. Or I've done other shows where a comedian comes off and is like, oh, I think that moment where I said this and that is gonna be the clip. Like people are literally thinking in clips now instead of bits. It's literally like, all right, how can I get a clip that I can then go post or whatnot? Not necessarily as much about, oh, I've been really writing this joke I'm real excited to try or I have a couple new tags here or there's this exciting act I'm going to try to add on to this bit I have. It's literally clips over bits now. And that's bars. That's bars right there, fam. I do not hate that. Clips over bits. So all I can say is you do you, boo. At the end of the day, I can't imagine starting comedy now and feeling that pressure of not just figuring out how to get on stage, figuring out how to write a joke, just trying to get up as much as possible, trying to get comfortable in your scene, trying to meet people, and trying to get clips in the middle of this when you're performing a lot of times at a coffee shop at 5 p.m. in front of a window where there's a homeless guy sleeping, or at an Irish pub at midnight on a Tuesday, where half the audience are just local drunks that didn't even know there was going to be comedy. So, and add in, oh, well, I need to film this because it may be the clip that makes me pop off. And I can't hate the hustle. I'm doing it now, too. I resisted it for a hot minute. But now I film everything. And I look for moments to create clips and things like that. But it's interesting to see even, like, newer comics 
who maybe don't even have a tight five minute set yet are like, Ooh, but how do I get that tight clip? So it's a new, it's a new game out there. It's a new game out there. So I say you do you boo for the sake of just whatever you feel is most valuable to you and your development as a comedian. Do you want to post the clips? Go for it. You want to work towards the clips? Go for it. Or do you want to first develop as a comedian, get more confident and comfortable on stage, get a solid set, 5, 10, 20 minute set before you start trying to share a bunch of clips and stuff? There's no real one way in this game. It's your way. So it's whatever you feel comfortable, whatever excites you the most, go for it. And what uh, Mark and Sam were saying as well is, if you're going to do crowd work, which basically it's it's part of the part of the game now is what they were saying. I mean, they were embracing that yes, this is part of what comics must do now to do crowd work in an authentic way, to not do it in a hacky way. Where they had like an example of I think it was like, "Oh, are y'all on a date or brother and sister or something like that." They were basically saying do crowd work, but do it in your way. Don't go for necessarily the easy or hacky laugh, but really do crowd work in a way where you're actually having a conversation with these people. You're actually asking genuine questions and not trying to get some cheap laugh out of it, but literally trying to like build a connection with them and kind of write together. So that was their two cents on basically how to do crowd work in a way that isn't cringy. Another interesting question from our Facebook group is from Brandon White, who said, are we in a comedy boom or bubble? If so, or if not, what does a bust look like? Do you guys have experience with that, having been in the comedy game for more than a minute? We're definitely in a comedy boom right now. Um, the thing about comedy is comedy booms when times are bad in a lot of ways, like a lot of times a comedy, there's a comedy boom when the world is basically in a burst and people need to laugh. And there's definitely more arena acts than ever in comedy. Every comedian has a podcast. Comics of every level are selling out venues. And a lot of it is thanks to social media. So we are a hundred percent in a comedy boom. I actually did a YouTube video about the impact that the internet has had on comedy and basically how we're in this comedy boom 2.0. And I break down how the first comedy boom was back in the eighties. And that happened because of the introduction of television into comedy. So it really started to put comedians in people's living rooms for the first time, which then caused one boom. And the same is happening now because of social media. So technology is a very disruptive tool in this comedy game that we're seeing firsthand as history repeats itself, one in the 80s when television was introduced, and now in the 90s when social media is introduced and someone like Andrew Schultz comes along. And really, Dan Cook, who I also did a video about, but Dan Cook and MySpace really was a trailblazer in social media and comedy. And then Andrew Schultz came and modernized the whole formula with what we're seeing today with crowd work clips and everyone posting all over social media and blown up on YouTube and things like that. And now really almost another iteration is what uh, Matt Reif has done, who I also created a video about. So I'll be, 
a lot of good content here on the YouTube channel. But basically, I think we're in a boom right now. I don't see it being a bust yet, but I will say, if we're saying history is repeating itself, the first comedy boom in the 80s busted because of oversaturation. There became so many comedians that there was the supply far outweighed the demand. And honestly, talent slipped through the cracks a lot of the times where there was so much supply of comedians and people wanted a lot of comedy, but then it got oversaturated and the quality suffered. And then people just lost interest and it kind of fell off from there. And a lot of comedy clubs went out of business and a lot of comedians went back to working at Blockbuster. And we all know how that ended. So the good thing about social media and how it can be different from this first comedy boom in the television era is essentially everyone is their own TV now. So back in the day, there was a bust because there were only a certain amount of channels. There were only a certain amount of avenues for people to find a comedian that they really like connect with. They're more just like, oh, this novelty of comedy. I think the comedy fan is more um, educated now. They're more refined now. They're not like a passive fan as much as back in the 80s when it was just comedy novelty. Oh my gosh, it's on television for the first time. This is amazing. Now there's social media. People have more experience being fans of comedy for longer and people are more curious about comedy than ever with wanting to learn about how things even work in the comedy game, which is what this show is all about. So there's definitely something different in this comedy boom and that in the eighties with the oversaturation here, people are using social media to find a comedian. They actually really resonate with and really connect with. That's why you're, and I've interviewed several comedians who have blown up on social media finding their specific audience that just is the pulse. It's not someone that passively watches TV and sees a comedian and is like, oh, ha ha, that's fun. But they literally like, oh, that comedian like knows me. You know, like Charlie Barron's huge social media comedian, sells out theaters. He's like the Midwest comedian. And he does a lot of like Midwest jokes and he has a Midwest podcast and Midwest skits. So anyone in the Midwest, he is talking directly to them. Ben Brainerd, another one, um, Desi Banks, um, Joe Dombrowski, he's a teacher who blew up doing like a, a spelling bee prank on his students. He, like all of these quote social media comedians and other comedians who have been able to find an audience that they truly resonate with in an authentic way beyond just like passively flipping through a TV channel. So I think that's what makes this boom different from the first one in the 80s. But if it'll bust or not, time will tell. But I, I, I think it's, you know, what goes up must come down. But people are building really deep connections with their fan bases better than ever now. So it's, it's a little bit of a different game now. So I think people are actually like, they're not just fans, but they really feel like invested and connected to these comedians. So I think it is a little different ballgame, but who will to say what happens in the next year, in the next decade, we'll all be doing stand-up in the metaverse, but time will tell. But that is a great question there. 
about the comedy boom there, Mr. Brandon. And I'd love to know y'all's comments as well. As y'all listen to the podcast, go and join our Facebook group and get the discussions going on some of these questions and what do y'all think, you know? Because we're a comedy community for comics by comics, and we're all about helping each other here. So uh, Jerry said it's interesting. A local club owner talked about how he does not want his feature doing crowd work only as headliner and MC a little bit to get the crowd together. Yeah, I've heard that before, and that is kind of a personal preference. I know there's a lot of times a headliner doesn't want the feature to do it, and this is probably why the club owner is saying the same thing, because then it sets the expectation to the audience that, oh, this is interactive. And if the headliner is not interactive and they just go up there and deliver their bits and they don't interact with the crowd, if the crowd has just had a feature act set the expectation and the whole tone of the show to be more crowd worky, then it can really mess up the flow of the headliner. And at the end of the day, it's the headliner show. So it's kind of what kind of tempo they want to set with it. So that is interesting there, Jerry. Cinema Quirks asks, do you think it's possible to make it nowadays without social media? Ugh. I mean, anything's possible, but social media is definitely the way now. Social media is how comedians of every level are blowing up now. It's interesting to see even comedians like Ian Bag, just, I mean, who is the crowd work king. He's been known as the best at crowd work for years and years and years and years now. And he recently blew up on social media because, you know, we talk about all these comedians saturating social media with a lot of times just blah crowd work. When someone like Ian Bag comes along and there's a real demand for crowd work and they're like, oh, this is how it's done at the highest level. He's just been blowing up. So even comedians like him who are more like, quote, veterans who have just been grinding it out for years, now they embrace social media and they're now blowing up and building a well-deserved fan base. So I won't say that it's impossible without social media, but it's certainly preferable. I don't know. Otherwise, I mean, it's really your direct line to your fan base. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say anything's possible, but I think it's definitely preferable. Here's a good question. Jared Chandler, how to build a successful room. This is in our Facebook group. I run a weekly show in a smaller town and it's a struggle to get more than a dozen people there every week, even with pro comedians. Yeah, that's a toughie there, Jared, especially in a smaller town. A good thing to do is one, you're in an advantage because if it's a smaller town then there's less competition you're kind of the only comedy game in town so now you just need to tap into the local community so ask yourself who is a big part of your small town for example last month uh, for my show I do a show outside of Atlanta and so there, there aren't other shows around. It's kind of an untapped market. And we collaborated with that town's pride club to do like a pride themed show. So if you think about if there's any local clubs, I mean, I don't know if there's Rotary Club or Gardening Club or because um, we did it with the pride club because it was also pride month. 
but think of other local organizations you may be able to collaborate with as well. And don't underestimate the power of like local calendars, even just putting something on Eventbrite, you know, even if it's a free event, it's just one more thing for people to find when they search things to do in this specific town. And, you know, I've interviewed several bookers and producers and me producing for so many years as well. Word of mouth is really your best friend in a lot of ways. So those 12 people you say that come, make sure you collect their emails. Make sure you incentivize them in some way to come back and bring friends with them. And it can kind of just build one week, it's a dozen. Another week, ooh, maybe we have 15. Ooh, another week, maybe it's like 17. Another week, it's 24. And it can kind of just build incrementally that way. And the final idea would be to, what's the venue doing? Are they helping promote? Does the venue have an email list? Does the venue have ideas as well? Because it's a win-win situation here for them. More people come in, the more money they make as well. So you're also not alone in this and like putting your heads together and trying to work together to figure something out as well. But I always recommend comics host their own show, if anything, for the hosting experience. But my heavenly day, running a show in itself will really teach you a lot about the business of comedy. And help you to have a way bigger appreciation for just how much goes into running your own show. Lambert, do you feel that it's better to attend a comedy workshop or just go to open mic nights? At the end of the day, I've interviewed over 400 comedians on here. The number one piece of advice. You know, I always end the episodes with their favorite comedy advice. The number one has been, you've got to get on stage. You have to get on stage. You can read the book, you can take a class, but if you don't apply what you've learned in these educational resources, if you don't apply it onto the stage, then you're not gonna develop as a comedian. That's just the reality of the situation. Comedy workshops can be great, Listen, I mean, when I taught my in-person classes before I moved them to online, every week the students performed in class and got live feedback. Because even in like a comedy workshop, you should be performing in some capacity. You should be standing in front of a room of people and getting comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling. So all I will say with workshops and all that is just make sure whoever's teaching it that they're credible, that it's someone you would aspire to be like, or someone that you respect and really believe they're not just trying to get a quick buck, essentially. So just follow your instincts on that. I mean, there are a lot of great comedy instructors out there and authors, and I've interviewed a lot of them, but just be, just be aware in whatever scene you're in or city you're in, just make sure whoever's teaching these classes that they're actually like a credible resource 
and not someone that's just kind of like a professional um, instructor without any like real like comedy experience, I guess for lack of a better like for better term. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great comedy instructors out there, but like in any industry, there's always gonna be uh, what do they call them charlatans? Is that what they call them? But yes, comedy workshops can be great for shortening the learning curve of specific aspects of comedy, whether it's writing jokes, stage presence. Um, you know what I mean? Cause there's simple things like people, people new don't know to like move the mic stand out of the way, or they don't know to like not just be nervously like twirling the mic cord as they're performing. And those are all little things you can iron out a lot quicker in a workshop. And also the joke writing aspect of instead of just like trying to figure out how to write a joke randomly, you actually have accountability as well. A workshop can be good for, but at the end of the day, what you're paying for is accountability and the access to information and the cut down on your learning curve of actually like processing that information, but you don't have to buy anything. You can literally go to open mic, figure it out as you go along and listen to this podcast. Cause we have literally, literally, we did a whole comedy author series where we literally interviewed all the top authors. If you go on Amazon, you search comedy writing books, we interviewed all of them and we did a whole series with the comedy authors. You can just listen to for free because you're welcome. Just like this live stream is free. You're welcome. Just like the podcast you're listening to or the YouTube videos that you watch are free. You're welcome. Joey Rich, first time on live. Always listen to the podcast. Very nice. Good to see you there, Joey. Gene Jackson, the pros and cons of playing a character on stage for stand-up. The pros versus cons of a character on stage. I mean, it's really personal preference on that if you want to be a character on stage or not you know someone like emo phillips who does like a voice and a character on stage uh lewis black is another one who's kind of like an exaggerated more angry version of himself i mean the pros are you become lewis black and you get on daily show and you sell out theaters forever now um i mean the con is that uh, Larry the Cable Guy, another character who is doing quite well. So there's definitely pros to it if it's something you authentically want to do and not something that's just more of like a passing fad that it's kind of like I have a friend who recently blew up on, blew up on social media doing a character and he's now selling out venues across the country and now he comes out on stage as that character. So... And what he does is he comes out as that character and then he's like, all right, I'm going to bring up my nephew and he's going to do some stand-up for y'all. So he does it in a way where he's able to still come back on stage and just be his authentic self as well. But just saying that is like performing as a character that you could possibly get pigeonholed into it. And especially if you're newer as a comedian, still trying to find your voice and figure out what you want to do, then uh, Andrew Dice Clay was like a 
character within his stand-up act that became this huge thing as well. So feel free to experiment with characters on stage. If one sings to you and you want to do more of it, go for it. At the end of the day, it's personal preference, you know? It's kind of like being a clean comedian versus being a dirty comedian, which has been a topic of discussion in the Facebook group. It's personal preference, and it's what you want to do and what you want to be known for. So I have nothing against people that are characters on stage. It's all, it's all what you want to do. Joey Rich asked if I've ever written in a comedian group. I mean, I've written in the Facebook group here. Uh, I know during the pandemic, we did a lot of like Zoom writing sessions together. I mean, I've written like scripts with like a writing team before. Um, I, I guess, is that what you're talking about there, Joey? So, I mean, yeah, I've, I've written collaboratively for sure. Yeah, and I know that's more prevalent, prevalent than ever as well. I've heard um, Andrew Schultz talk about that as well with his team, who I'm uh, currently in the middle of producing a YouTube video about the whole flagrant squad, but they'll write together a lot of the times as well and bounce bits off of, you know, that's what a lot of comedians are doing on podcasts now is they're just bouncing bits and kind of spitballing ideas and stuff. So yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's definitely some positives to writing collaboratively, or if you're doing a show and you think of, um, a tag for a friend or something, you can always, do it that way as well and kind of collaboratively, collaboratively right that way. But that's the uh, best is really like, that's what this group is all about. It's like comics helping comics. So I know a lot of times there's people who will like meet up and write together and things like that. So it can be very valuable and helpful. Uh, Oz Morris asked, no one talks about the mental agility and prep it takes to put on a good show. And how mentally exhausting it is. How do you cope with it? And do it especially if you have regular shows. Yeah. And that becomes more and more important when you start actually like getting on the road. When you start. I mean, when you when you work a comedy club weekend, that's when you. It really feels like work. Like in a good way. I mean, you're getting to perform at a club and it's great. But it does feel like work. You're like, oh, man, I'm doing like seven shows this weekend. Sometimes three in a night. Sometimes you're like, oh, I have a six and then like a, an eight and then a 10 o'clock show. This is all in one night. This is wild. Like, and then when you and when you start headlining as well, like there's a whole other level of pressure and like preparation that goes into it. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. And what helps me is literally... Well, one, I like, to, I like to meditate before I go on stage. So like all week when I was headlining this casino, I was meditating before the show. I was trying to like mentally prepare myself. I was literally like envisioning the show going well, envisioning how I want to feel afterwards. Another thing that helps me out is to write in my set list. I always like make a set list in, in my notebook. And what really helps me is to write, like, have fun, smile, be loose. Like, I write these things as part of my set list to remind me of how I want to be on stage. So that really helps as well. And just when you're not feeling it, and I've asked comedians this on the podcast too, it's like when you're not feeling it or you're tired and you're like, oh, about to go on stage and I'm just kind of feeling just apathetic about this. 
it's good to take a moment and just take a hot breath and just think how grateful you are even if it's even if you're lying to yourself just take a breath and think about how grateful you are that you even get to do this it's like man i could be i could be back and even if this is if this could be an open mic this thing have to be like a big book show or anything could literally be like oh man i am so grateful that i get to do this right now i've always wanted to do comedy and now i'm about to get to do it and it's going to be amazing and you really just take a moment of gratitude that hey you you're doing comedy you actually get to go on stage tonight that's amazing and really just remind yourself that oh I get to do the thing that I want to do right now. And it can sound cheesy and it can sound hokey, but it works. So a time you're not feeling it, just take that moment of gratitude and remind yourself, oh my gosh, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And it really makes a difference. But a lot of good questions today, Hot Breath Fam. I love that we get to do this. Every single Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going live on the YouTube channel. We're going live in the Facebook group to answer your questions directly. And we have more interviews on the way. I've been recording interviews with comedians, so don't you fret. I know we've been doing a lot of live Q&As and posting those, but I'm building up the library of interviews for anyone that has done a podcast or tried to do a podcast you understand how much work it can be and what we've seen in the analytics is that even though we're doing these q a's we're still getting a lot of listens like the listenership hasn't dropped off because we've moved to this q a format but i do want to keep interviewing comedians i do want to keep bringing on your favorite comics so you actually get inside insight from them as well so we're about to roll out more interviews don't you worry. So just if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go do that. We're dropping new video essays on there periodically and interviews and more. And join our Facebook group where we do a daily joke writing contest. I live stream this every Tuesday. And if you want to be an overachiever, share this with your fellow comedian. You're on an open mic. Y'all are talking about comedy. Ask me if they've heard of Hot Breath. Because someone in the live chat asked about the Austin comedy scene when I went there recently. A lot of comics came up talking about how helpful the show is. And that's how it should be in every scene. Every scene should... Hot breath. Hot breath. Have hot breath involved. So, go forth, my friends. Enjoy your weeks. Hope you found this helpful. Reach out to us on social media. At Hot Breath Pod. Share this episode. I asked you to do a lot of things. Pick your favorite one, and we'll see y'all next week. I love you all so much. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.